November 3. Be part of the team. It's time to come to the aid of America. Welcome to your voting guide by the League of Women Voters. This is Vivian Hart, and I will be your host on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. We are a nonpartisan organization, and we encourage citizens to be informed about and active in our government. We do not support or oppose any political party or candidate. Our goal with this program is to present unbiased information about candidates, the issues, and our voting process relating to the upcoming general election on November 3rd. Now keep that in mind, it's November 3rd. We're delighted that you've joined us today. I'm going to be interviewing two wonderful league members. The first person I'm going to interview is Kathy Eros, who is the president of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. And the second person is Betty Bankson, the chair of our advocacy committee. Both of these people are very respected in the league, and I'm very happy to have them on. We're going to be talking about the census and about redistricting, and those two are connected. So first, I'd like to welcome Kathy Eros. Now, Kathy was our local league's representative on Pima County's Complete Count Committee, and that committee had a broad spectrum of government and community leaders on it, and it was charged with leading the community to promote the 2020 census. We know that some people fill out the census right away, and some people don't. So this committee was set up so that they could encourage people, all people in our area, to fill out the census. So there were representatives from a number of community groups, including the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson, as well as tribal and Hispanic communities, faith-based organizations, and of course, uh, county government organizations too. So first of all, Kathy, would you please explain to us what's been going on with the 2020 census? I know some strange things have been going on. Well, an awful lot has been going on, uh, but first I need to let everyone listening uh, know that this interview is being taped on September 15th, so a lot will have happened by the time you hear this on October 4th. Uh, in late July or early August, the Census Bureau received a directive from the Trump administration to cut the uh, non-response follow-up phase of the 2020 census a month short at the time of this taping, September 30th was a final day to respond online, by phone, by mail, or with a census worker. The original deadline was for 10-31-20, or Halloween. Then, in mid-August of this year, a coalition of cities, counties, and other groups sued the Trump administration over its shifting the 2020 census deadline. These groups include various jurisdictions in California, Texas, Washington State, the National Urban League, the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, and the League of Women Voters. Defendants named in the lawsuit are the Commerce Department, the Census Bureau, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, and the Census Bureau Director Steve Dillingham. A U.S. District Court judge 
Judge Lucy Coe in the Northern District of California granted a temporary restraining order against the government over its surprise decision last month to end the count a month earlier than it had planned. A filing in the case by the government last week revealed that the Census Bureau had already begun ratcheting down the count, prompting the civil rights groups and local jurisdictions that filed the suit to ask for the order. The order is set to last until a September 17th court hearing over the plaintiff's request for counting to continue until October 31st, the date the Census Bureau set months ago in response to coronavirus-related delays. The government had asked Congress for an additional four months to report its data, a delay the House approved in its coronavirus relief bill, but the Senate has yet to approve. Census officials said publicly in July that because of the pandemic-related delays, the Bureau could no longer deliver a full and accurate count by the constitutionally mandated deadline of December 31st. So the lawsuit right now maintains that this shift in the 2020 census deadline was politically motivated and will harm the accuracy of the count and also is connected to the president's earlier directive to exclude undocumented immigrants from being counted for the apportionment of house seats. This action itself resulted in still another group of lawsuits at the time. A federal court three-judge panel unanimously rejected President Trump's order to exclude unauthorized immigrants from population counts and stated that the Constitution requires that House apportionment be reflected by the whole number of persons in each state. The core complaint of this most recent lawsuit indicates that to increase the chance that the president can fully effectuate the apportionment exclusion order, and right now we're talking about how many representatives a state like Arizona might be allowed in Congress, the president must receive the population totals while he is still in office. This new presidential timeline eliminates a critical four weeks from the actual enumeration or counting time and four months from the time for processing. The loss of this final month of October counting time couldn't help but have an impact on the accurate count of communities of color, immigrants, and low-income residents in hard-to-count areas of Arizona. Those people are going to be counted in lesser numbers, is what you're saying. Unfortunately, this also translates to loss of economic resources as well as a possible loss of gaining an additional Arizona representative in Congress. And of course, this impact continues for the next 10 years. There are no do-overs with the census. The lawsuit seeks to have the court declare the administration's plan unlawful because it violates the Constitution's enumeration clause and the 14th Amendment in addition to the Administrative Procedure Act. The Administrative Procedure Act was previously used by challengers to block the Trump administration's attempt to add a citizenship question to the census. Consequently, there is no citizenship question on the census. Here's an update on what's going on as of October 4th. The top career officials at the Census Bureau have been saying as early as May, that because of the virus, 
um, it made meeting the deadline of December 31st, delivering the results to the president, made that that was impossible to meet. And so Secretary Wilbur Ross, who's in charge of the Commerce Department, which is the agency that oversees the Census Bureau, said that the counting needed to end on September 30th in order to have enough time to process the results to meet this December 31st deadline, even though all the people at the top of the Census Bureau said it couldn't be met. So U.S. District Court Judge Lucy Coe issued an order last week that prohibits the administration from implementing this December 31st deadline. And she said that they were going to reinstate, and she said she was going to reinstate the October 31st as the last day to get data for the census. Well, Wilbur Ross didn't like this, and so he announced to the people in the Census Bureau that October 5th would be the target date for ending all the counting efforts. The problem with this is that rushing the 2020 census is going to result in an inaccurate and incomplete count, especially an undercount of significant numbers of black people, Latinos, and other communities of color. Judge Coe did not appreciate this, and she ordered the Census Bureau to send out a text message to all of its employees, and it has hundreds of thousands of employees, to send out a text message this past Friday that said that the October 5th date is not operative and that the agency will continue to collect data through the end of the month, through October 31st. But what's going to happen this coming week is that the administration is going to the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in order to argue their case that it should be stopped earlier. And they said that they would go to the Supreme Court if the appeals court does not rule in its favor. So this is not over yet. What is the clause that talks about the census and who's supposed to be counted in the census? The enumeration clause in the U.S. Constitution is also known as the census clause and can be found in Article 1, Sections 1 and 2 of the U.S. Constitution. It means that the U.S. is directed to conduct a census, or a head count, every 10 years of everyone residing in the 50 states, Puerto Rico, and the island areas of the U.S. This includes people of all ages, races, ethnic groups, citizens, and non-citizens. The first census was conducted in 1790 and every 10 years since then. So according to the Constitution, everyone should be counted. The Constitution is very clear on this. The census is to count everyone living in the United States regardless of whether they are citizens or not. Children and babies are historically undercounted but they must be counted as well. The purpose of the census every 10 years is to get an idea of how many people actually are living in an area, not who does or who doesn't have citizenship. The purpose is also to get a real count of how many people use our roads, attend our schools, need and use health and community services. The, the census helps us plan for how many people will need these things <laughs> so that we might actually improve the quality of life for all Arizonans. 
So I know the Census Bureau sends people out to go door to door to the households that haven't responded to the census. Can you tell us about that when they started? Well, originally they were supposed to start doing this in May, but due to the virus, uh, the census takers weren't able to start going door to door until August 11th. I know that some people aren't answering the census questions because they're afraid that their answers won't be confidential, that ICE might come and pick them up. What about confidentiality? Well, that's one of the things we really struggle with here in in Arizona. But all information collected by the census is completely confidential and not shared in a way that could identify you or the people living with you or the people staying with you. This includes law enforcement and immigration (laughs) officials. If you happen to have a non-citizen living or staying with you, they should have been counted without any fear of any problem. These head counts are used only to determine your state's political representation and how federal money is distributed to your state. The specific information on the 2020 census will not be made public for 72 years. For instance, census data from 1950 will finally be made public in 2022. Really? That's interesting. We've known about the pandemic since about March, anyway. How has the pandemic impacted the 2020 census? Well, it's had a substantial impact all across the nation. The Census Bureau suspended field operations in March as the pandemic got worse. The Census Bureau also asked Congress in April of this year to push back the deadline for states to receive the data from April 1st, 2021 until July 31st, 2021. This delay would impact redistricting and elections in 17 states who have specific constitutional deadlines for drawing new political maps. One suggested solution was to have the Census Bureau release its 2020 population data on a rolling basis next year. This has been done before, and this would allow states with early redistricting deadlines or elections to receive the figures earlier than the July 31st, 2021 deadline, which was proposed by the Census Bureau. Here in Arizona, so many planned public census events, both fun and educational, had to be canceled. Because of our cultural diversity in Arizona, it was so important to educate and convince the population that it was safe to participate in the census in spite of the administration's efforts to impose a citizenship question. The pandemic has also resulted in a loss of census personnel doing the door-to-door counting of those who did not submit the census on their own. That was supposed to have started, as I said, back in May, but did not commence until August. You've mentioned a little bit about how the census will impact Arizona in that we can get one more representative in the House of Representatives, maybe two, some people say maybe two, and then also uh, the amount of money that comes to our state from the federal government, depending on what our population is. Do you want to expand on that? Let's talk about money first. Every year, the federal government distributes $675 billion, that's billion with a B, to the states 
counties, cities, and towns under 132 different programs. The number of people counted in each state determines how much of these federal funds will go to these states. Some of those critical programs are for medical assistance. It's called Medicaid in a lot of states uh, here in Arizona. It's referred to as access. Food stamps, Section 8 housing, highway construction, school lunches, and responses to emergency situations. The coronavirus pandemic is an example of an emergency situation. Recently, previous census data was used for the distribution of federal funds under three major congressional acts in response to the coronavirus pandemic, including the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. Look at it in these terms as well. For each person not counted, Arizona loses an estimated $3,000 a year. Over 10 years, due to just one person not being counted, that's $30,000. For a single family of four not being counted, Arizona loses $120,000. For every 33 people not counted, Arizona loses $1 million over 10 years. An undercount results in the loss of billions of dollars to our state. And remember, this funding loss goes on for the next 10 years with no chance for any adjustment, even if our population might double. Now let's take a look at politics. Data from the census is used to draw boundary lines for congressional districts, state legislative districts, county supervisor districts, and city council wards. Census data impacts your political representation. The population in Arizona has been increasing, and with a correct population count, we're in line to gain an additional representative in Congress. Well, tell me this. How did the Tucson area do in responding to the census, and how does this number compare to the rest of Arizona and the rest of our country? As of September 11th, the Pima County self-response rate was 65.9%. We do have a number of low self-response areas that include Aravaca, Robles Junction, Cells, Three Points, Ajo, City of South Tucson, the Pascuayaki and Ona Odom tribes, Drexel Heights, and the area south of the city of Tucson. Native Americans, Latinos, and African Americans have all been undercounted since the first census in 1790. In Arizona, Hispanics and Native Americans historically tend to be the largest groups undercounted. For some Hispanics, there was the fear that completing the census might lead to interaction with immigration officials. There were many Hispanic advocacy groups represented in the CCC doing what they could to emphasize the confidentiality aspect of the census. For Native Americans, culture, distance, and technology limitations play a major role, but lack of trust is also a huge factor. This comes from a long negative history with the federal government. Couple that with lack of internet access and Native American communities are facing the potential loss of millions of dollars due to this undercount. And it should be noted that there are over 300 reservations in the United States facing similar challenges. Let's say that we get 90% counted. This means over 700,000 people will remain uncounted. You need to think about the funding loss to Arizona. 
the roads, the schools, the community programs. This impacts everyone, citizens and non-citizens alike. Thank you, Kathy. Kathy Eros, who's the president of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. My next guest is Betty Bankson. She's the chair of the Advocacy Committee of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, Kathy was talking about the census and how important that is. Now, it's directly related to redistricting. Can you please explain to our audience how those two are directly related? As Kathy said earlier, um, Arizona has nine congressional uh, representatives now. As a result of the census, we might have an additional 10th seat in Congress. The census data is used to reapportion the congressional seats, and so we would gain, hopefully gain a seat, though it would mean that another state would, would have to lose one in order for us to gain one. The census also reveals population changes. People move to new areas. The birth rate is higher, perhaps in one area than another. Uh, So people move around in our state. We find after a 10-year period that in our current districts, there are more people than there should be. And perhaps another district has fewer people in their district. So the lines need to be redrawn to rebalance our representation so that we all are being represented as equally as possible. So the census is very important to that representation. So please explain to us what redistricting is and why it is important to our listeners. It determines who you can vote for, first of all. So I think that's pretty important. We do have uh, the nine congressional districts, maybe 10, and 30 legislative districts. And everyone wants to be in a district where their voices will be heard. Partisan gerrymandering can be problematic, where legislators draw the lines, which give disproportionate advantage to any one political party. Both of the major political parties do gerrymandering when they uh, when they are in power. So when a state legislature draws the lines, they can create the districts that favor themselves. So instead of the voters selecting their representatives, the legislator selects their voters. We are lucky in Arizona that we have an independent redistricting commission that draws those lines instead of our state legislature. Tell me about the independent redistricting commission. I know that the citizens of the state voted on a ballot proposition in order to form the commission. Uh, Yes, the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission was created in the year 2000 with the passage of Proposition 106. So it's in the Arizona Constitution. And these voters have to vote for any changes to that commission. In the proposition perspective, uh, voters were told that they would be voting, if they voted yes on Proposition 106, they would vote to end the practice of gerrymandering and improve voter and candidate participation in elections by creating an independent commission of balanced appointments to oversee the mapping of fair and competitive congressional and legislative districts. So the proponents of the proposition wanted to have maps created that were fair and competitive, that gave candidates from all parties or even someone who was an independent 
chance uh, to be elected to office. The commission consists of five members. Two are from the uh, Republican Party and two from the Democratic Party. And there is an independent chairperson. The Commission on Appellate Court Appointments creates a pool of 25 people from the uh, larger group of applicants and forwards that pool of names to legislative leaders. The pool of 25 has 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats, and five independents. The uh, Speaker of the House and the Minority Leader in the House and the Senate President and the Minority Leader in the Senate each select one member for the commission. We'll have two representatives from each of the major parties. And then those four people select the independent chairperson. Independent Redistricting Commission has drawn new districts in 2001 and in 2011. So we are getting ready for 2021 now. So how does the Independent Redistricting Commission do its work? What is the process? Well, the commissioners aren't expected to sit down with paper maps and pencils and compasses and uh, rulers and draw new lines. Instead, they hire mapping consultants, experts at creating political districts. They have computerized software that allows um, iterations of the map to be drawn easily. And they use the census data as the basis for that mapping. The process begins with a blank grid map of Arizona with districts drawn with equal population, with no consideration of party registration and voting history. And those lines uh, are then adjusted to according to five criteria. And I should say at this point that there are actually two different maps drawn, one for congressional districts, so that would be nine or 10 congressional districts. The other map is drawn for our 30 legislative districts. The grid maps are then adjusted according to certain criteria. First, the maps must comply with the U.S. Constitution and the Voting Rights Act. Draft maps are drawn, as I said, and are examined by the commissioners and are made public for comment. There are a number of opportunities for individuals and for groups to comment on the maps, uh, to suggest changes, to support the map or to say, I don't want that line going, um, going through my neighborhood. And then the final maps are drawn after all the public comment period and are put into effect. The final maps don't require any approval or review by the governor or by the legislature. The uh, Independent Redistricting Commission is an independent commission. The only review is by the U.S. Department of Justice to ensure compliance with the Constitution, and with the Voting Rights Act. So it's an open public process that we all can participate in. The process is already underway to appoint our next independent redistricting commission. The Commission on Appellate Court Appointments during the summer sent out a call for applicants to the commission, and the application period was open from July 20th through August 30th. There were 138 individuals from throughout the state who applied to be considered to be a commissioner. It's important to begin reading the newspapers to see what those names are. You mentioned about people going to public meetings to let their voice be heard about their thoughts on the draft maps that are made. 
Are there any other ways that our listeners can participate in the redistricting process? If you are interested, uh, you might want to look for more information about the last Independent Redistricting Commission. You can go to azredistricting.org, which is the website maintained by the 2011 Redistricting Commission. There you can see some of their draft maps and the final maps to gain some more understanding of the process. If you want to know more about the IRC applicants who will be drawing our maps, you can Google IRC nominations, which will take you to a website maintained by the Arizona Courts, where a list of the 128 applicants will be found. You can see the names and their political affiliations and the county that uh, they are from. And you can attend public meetings throughout the process. Now, the actual draft maps won't be available for many months um, into uh, 2021. You may attend meetings in your, hopefully in your neighborhood or in your, in your town. Look at those draft maps. Voice your opinions on them. Look to see where you will be in the newly drawn map and decide if that's where you want to be. You can make uh, comments. Um, you can get together with uh, groups that you're associated with to submit a group comment on those maps. So I encourage everyone to be an informed citizen and to feel empowered to participate in the process. I've been talking with Betty Bankton. I want to thank our two guests today, Kathy Eros, who's the president of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson, and Betty Bankton, who's the chair of the Advocacy Committee of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. I thank both of them for being our guests today. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to our program these last few weeks and that you have learned about the candidates and about voting and the voting process. The League of Women Voters really does want all of our listeners here to vote and to be part of the process because that way you can let your voice be heard. You can learn more about the League of Women Voters at our website, lwvtucson.org. You've been listening to your voting guide by the League of Women Voters on KXCI 91.3 FM. All episodes of this series are on kxci.org after they have been broadcast. This show is recorded and produced by Amanda Shager. Thank you very much for listening to these shows. This is Vivian Hart. Bye-bye. Come to the aid. Come to the aid.